Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is August 1st. It's Tuesday. Time for the Power Hour. We've got the team here from Pittsburgh Power. We'll hear from them, and then we'll get to your calls and questions. Calls are already starting to come in, so jump in and join us. 855-950-3835. I think this is, maybe I should refresh here. Things aren't looking right. Let's try this again. Um, This is probably Bruce. Bruce, good morning. Good morning, Kevin. How are you this morning? Sounds, sounds, I'm wonderful. I was actually a minute late. I was uh, answering emails and I looked up and I was 11.01. I said, wow. So I was a minute minute and a half late because I had technical issues. (laughs) So I had to restart some things. So we were both late this morning. Falkers, F-O-L-K-E-R-S. F-O-K-R-S. So this goes way and back. That stands for this one of our. I, I remember, but yeah. I forgot what it meant. Friends of Kevin Rutherford. F O K R. Got to be real clear how you say that. Oh, you know, I have um, a lot of our stuff gets transcribed now, um, and transcription has gotten so much better with AI. Like, it's really amazing how well it transcribes now. But it can't figure out Fockers. It, it spells it the other way every time. Okay. All right. So, um, I don't have a lot to talk about. Yes, I do. Randy Lang. <laughs> I've got another fellow that uh, he sent us pictures of how he hauls his dune buggy on his truck. Plus he has about a 160 inch bunk on his truck. So he's long. And, uh, he also has a, one of the older, older Dodges way before Cummins got involved. And he repired it with the Cummins and, uh, updated things. And, uh, I'm going to have the pictures of his rig and his Dodge and, uh, one of my articles coming up. So, but Randy Lang has a number 15, 1987, 359. Did you know those trucks in 1987? That was the last year for the 359. And I think they built 79 of them and stopped. No, I didn't know that. Or was it 59? No, they built, I think 59 of them. Wow. And Randy had a chance to buy a really clean red and black one four and a quarter B cat and he had the engine rebuilt and set up and he does a lot of local hauling, I think. And, uh, he's 7.2 mile per gallon. Wow. Yeah. Not bad. Yeah. Not bad at all. And he, he loves the truck and uh, he's doing little things to it to keep it pristine being it is a numbered truck. So they all had a special number in 1987 to 359s. That's maybe somebody that would be an expert on that will call in and talk to us about that. Yeah, if that's but I the had case, a question, that would be a truck to hold on to. Right. I had a question. This year we bought two watermelons and they're not sweet. Anybody that haul watermelons can tell us was it the weather or these things grown in greenhouses or uh, there's lots of, there's lots of things that can go wrong. I'm becoming uh, a little more knowledgeable about produce. Uh, a lot of it is the weather. And I'll tell you what, one of the things I can't grow very well here at all are melons. 
I've tried it. I've tried cantaloupes. I've tried watermelons. I can grow them. Um, I got to really work at it. And then they're not that great. But 40 miles away, maybe a little longer, 60 to 70 miles. Uh, we have what are called Hermiston melons and they're grown more out in the desert because, you know, 80 miles away from us is just about desert. And the Hermiston melons mm-hmm. are fantastic. You just wait for them every year. They're super sweet really, really good melons. So it could be the variety of melon they're growing. It could be where it was grown. It could be the weather that year. Everything had something to do with it. But here's the thing you have to realize. All produce from the grocery store sucks. I am shocked at how bad produce has gotten over the years and we didn't really notice. You know, we always talk about tomatoes. Grocery store tomatoes are just awful. You get a good heirloom tomato, they are so much better. But virtually everything I grow, peas, beans, peppers, tomatoes, everything, sweet potatoes, everything I can grow is so much better than what I can get in the grocery store. What they do now is they grow produce that ships and stores well. They could care less about taste anymore. And we as consumers seem to put up with it. I don't know why we buy this produce that tastes awful or just doesn't taste or, but it lasts forever. You know, I was shocked. I fully expected when I started picking things out of my garden and then putting them in the produce drawer, I thought they would last a really long time because it's fresh. I just picked it off the vine and stuck it in there. And the broccoli I got at the grocery store, who knows how long it took to get to me yet that broccoli at the grocery store lasts longer than mine that I pick out of the garden. Mine's, mine is not edible in about three or four days. That's all it lasts. And you think about that grocery store broccoli, it probably took three weeks to get to you. And it's still fresh for another three weeks after you put it in the produce drawer. What the hell do they do to this stuff? But then you, you lose all taste because that's all they do now is they breed these things so that they ship well and last long. And nobody cares about taste. Yeah. That's a shame. It is. But you're right. We have a farmer yeah. market that we go to every, I try to go to on Wednesdays and Saturday to get the fresh produce. But hey, I wanted to say something. This uh, being 2023, I. I came back from Colorado in 2003, 20 years ago, just about stone broke. And it was employees like Pete Sharp, Pat Sharp, Amy Killian, Brian Moan, and Gary Hoffman. They kept, at the time we were diesel injection of Pittsburgh. We built a new shop in 2007, 2008. That's when we changed the name to Pittsburgh Power. But those employees kept the business going for me. I was living in my parking lot in my fifth wheel. And uh, I thought I was done. But I didn't give up. Then I started thinking back the other day how many times I've been broke. <laughs> and up to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven times. Not... Some of them weren't flat out broke, like I was in 1971, 75, 83, 92. 92 was so bad, that recession, that uh, it really killed us. It's, you know, when the politicians kill the economy, they kill the freight and they kill trucking. And uh, it has a ricochet effect on a lot of us. It, it does. Um, 
It does. The um, but you know Walt Disney. Go ahead. Uh, Walt Disney went broke seven times, and I thought, how the heck do you recover? So I started counting. I said, man, I'm right there. Uh, I'm right with Walt. I I did it three times, I think. Two really bad. Uh, two, was it was really, really close. Uh, the first one, uh, I added too many trucks too fast, had 11 trucks, was just going broke. And then it sometimes it's just bad timing. You know, it's certainly, it was my fault. I made a lot of bad decisions and then timing sometimes happens. Uh, the first time, I don't remember the year, I think it would have been in the early 90s, fuel had always been under a dollar back then. Fuel wasn't really much of an issue. I was working on fuel mileage. Everybody thought I was insane because fuel was 80 cents a gallon. Who cared? Um, but then it went to it went to about a buck 50 that year. And we had never, I had never dealt with that prices like that climbing that nobody even knew what a fuel surcharge was back then. Nobody talked about it because we didn't use one. That was the first time because fuel went above $1.25. We started talking about fuel surcharges. And that same year, all 11 trucks were basically base plated in Ohio. And there was a way that you could get your base plate for like 300 bucks back then in Ohio. But that changed and it went to 1300 almost overnight. That was 11 trucks. Then I had two engines. I dropped two engines that year we weren't expecting. Oil drain plug came out of one and uh, driver let another one overheat. So we lost two engines. I, I We were toast. I mean, I, I thought I'm done. Um, I, I ended up selling nine of the 11 trucks to raise money and then went back to driving full time. I was in the office, you know, moving freight and dispatching and brokering. And um, I had to go back to driving full time. I did it overnight and then, you know, started the accounting and got all that going. And but I, I thought I was done. Um, it was close. And then the other time people might be surprised how recent this was uh, the crash of 08. It shouldn't have really bothered me. My trucks were still making money because I was at FedEx at the time. My accounting company was doing okay. But a lot of other situations, divorce, some weird things going on. I, I can remember being in Colorado doing the radio show. Um, ATBS bought me or built me a studio in their building. I can remember one night where I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to buy gas to get down to the, the studio. I had just gotten myself into a weird place like that with money. And I thought, holy cow, I better start paying attention here. Um, and from there, we, yeah. this is what, this is the business we built from there. And, you know, we're, we're in pretty good shape this time. Uh, it was a long time in between crashes and it gave us a long time to get prepared. It's a, it's a tough feeling. Uh, you know, one way to always make sure you have enough money for fuel to get home, this won't work in a semi-truck, but it works in a pickup truck or a car, is keep your ashtray filled with quarters. <laughs> average ashtray holds about $18 over the quarters because I've been out of town and didn't have a a dollar bill to my name and the ashtray was empty and I had enough fuel to get home and it was a terrible feeling. So I, I make sure those ashtrays to this day stay pretty full with quarters. You know, one of the things about this topic kind of makes me chuckle. If You know, occasionally I'll post a picture online on social media and it might be just my garden or whatever. And, you know, you can see the house in the background and I, somebody will make a smart comment like it must be nice, you know, and all I can think of yeah. is you're right. It is nice. 
but you should have been with me when I didn't know if I had enough gas to get into the studio to do the show or not. And I, I don't feel guilty about any of this at all. And, and like I said, I don't post the pictures to brag. It's usually something else and somebody sees a vehicle or the coach or the house. And um, you, you don't know what it's taken for somebody to get where they are. Right. In 2003, we were in a two-bay shop and we did a lot of our work outside. A lot of the parts that we were shipping out were put outside on a concrete pad and if we thought it was going to rain, we covered them with a plastic tarp. Yeah. We you know, off the, turnpike. the statistics are, Bruce, that most entrepreneurs, even people who start as entrepreneurs in their 20s, I started in my teens. I mean, it's all I've ever really done is work for myself my whole life. The statistic is, though, most entrepreneurs really don't make it till their 50s or 60s. And that was true for me. I mean, I, I had some really good years early on, and then I had some really bad years, and a couple of years almost went out of business and bankrupt, and it was my 50s that it kind of stabilized a little bit, and hoping my 60s are even better. Yeah. It's tough lessons you learn along life's path as you're self-employed. So, Bruce, uh, think about 45 years ago or more, uh, think about the first day you got in the in the business. Uh, Yellow was a pretty big company, right? Yeah. Been around a long, long time, well, 99 years. I was with Motor Freight Express, and I was just talking to somebody. They mentioned Bohemian Beer and Bertram Hofberger owned Motor Freight, and uh, that was in 1969, and they were losing a nickel for every dollar they made. And I said to the employee who was 19 years old, I said, do you guys really think this company's going to stay? And they said, he's got money coming in from the beer company, and I think he owned part of the Baltimore Orioles at the time, or maybe owned them. And, and uh, well, guess what? He got tired of losing money, and the union guys didn't want to straighten up, and uh, he shut her down. But I was, I was long gone after, before that happened. You know, the, the, but you could see the writing on the wall. Growing up, Go I went ahead. through this because my dad worked for union LTL companies. And every time he would go to work for one, they would go out of business. And then he'd go work for another one and they'd go out of business. Um, all through the 80s, they were dropping like flies. Uh, they, they were all shutting down through the 80s and 90s. But uh, this was, well, actually 70s. Uh, then into the early 80s, I think... I remember right, Spectre went out in the early 80s sometime, right after deregulation, which really didn't have much to do with it for them. But uh, all of those LTL companies are virtually gone now. Most of them have been replaced by non-union LTL companies, and Yellow is one of the last big ones. Um, it's hard to believe this is, by headcount, they're calling this the biggest bankrupt bankruptcy in U.S. history by number of employees. I've seen a lot of claims you thrown around. the economy. Yeah. yeah. You kill the economy. You kill manufacturing. You kill trucking. And uh, i got to say, the current administration did a great job of killing things. So Certainly did. That, uh, they think that Democratic parties for the working man, they better really step back and take a look at that because it's not true anymore. Nope, it's not. And another topic I want to throw out while we're kind of on yellow because... Um, do you remember when 
uh, truck prices were just crazy high. wasn't that long ago, a little over a year. Uh, so here are some numbers. And I told a, a lot of people, do not buy that truck. Do not buy a truck right now. The minute you sign that piece of paper at this price, that is the biggest mistake you will make and you can't fix it. The, the 30 seconds after you sign that document, you are screwed and there's no way to fix this mistake. And I tried to tell people that people bought trucks. I, I hope they survive, but let's look at where we are now with these numbers. So uh, last year at this time, a three-year-old truck. So we're talking trucks with probably about 400,000 miles on them or so. A three-year-old truck was selling for $140,000 this time last year. That same truck right now, $71,000. Half, wow. half in, in 15 months roughly um, is what happened. So if you bought a truck then, you are now forty dollars to $50,000 underwater on that truck. And a lot of people don't realize what that means. You will have so much risk, it's not even funny. Let's go through the scenarios. Let's just say that be, that's a big payment on a $140,000 truck and interest rates were already climbing. So you got a higher interest rate. So the, the market's slowed down enough right now. A lot of these guys that bought those trucks just can't make the payment. I, I see them every day on social media. They're struggling. They can't make the payment. If they default on that truck, here's what's going to happen. It goes to auction. When you default on it, the bank just sends it to auction. Auction mostly just brings wholesale prices. We're talking about retail prices here that, that are, have dropped in half. But if the bank gets this thing because you didn't make the payments, it's going to auction. At auction, it's not even going to bring this much. So most of these guys will be $50,000 underwater. And here's another thing they don't realize. When they say, I'm done, I can't make the payment, they let the bank take it back. This could go on for months or even years before that truck actually sells at market. In a really down economy, those trucks just don't sell sometimes. They just sit there. Or the bank will unload them. Either way, it's, it gets worse for you. I've had deals where two years after somebody does this, the bank then issues a 1099 to that person. That money that they didn't pay to the bank, whatever it turns out to be, in this case, probably 50000 or so, becomes income to that person. And you have to pay tax on it. Wow. Yes. People don't realize this. And because it's tax, you can never discharge this in a bankruptcy. So even if you say, holy shit, I really blew it. I'm going to file bankruptcy. Doesn't matter. You can't discharge taxes in a bankruptcy. You will still owe the government all the tax on that $50,000, even after you file bankruptcy. There's no way out of this one. Now, and as we get older, we don't have time to make up, so we have to be careful. Yes. Now, that's one scenario. And somebody will say, well, I'll work my ass off. I'll sell everything else. I'll do everything I have to do to keep that truck and pay for it. And if you can, good. That's what you need to do. But there are some other scenarios. What if it gets stolen? And that seems to be happening a lot more recently with trucks and trailers. What if it gets wrecked and it's totaled? 
What if it catches on fire? These new trucks have a tendency to catch on fire a lot more than old trucks used to. If any of those things happen, you're screwed again because now you're going to get book value for it from the insurance company and you no longer have a truck to run your business and you owe somebody forty or $50,000. How are you going to go buy another truck at that point? You can't. You're out of business and it might be no fault of your own. Your truck might have just gotten stolen. But because of that decision you made to buy the truck at the wrong time, you're now out of business. Interesting. So we'll see what happens. And here's the other thing. I'm actually looking at the chart. These truck prices are not down to the bottom yet. We're not where we were in, say, 2019 or 2020. There's still a little more value to lose on these truck prices. There's still a little more to lose in the, the rates of the freight, too. We haven't hit the bottom of either one. So this is going to get worse before oh. it gets better. Okay. All right. Let's find out what uh, Pete and Leroy have to say this morning. Good morning, guys. Morning, Kevin. How are you today? Good. What's on your mind? So I was going to a couple of things go over what we have going on in this shop this week. Um, we have a 79 3 59 with a N14 someone put in there that needed in frame. So we're finishing that up. Better wait for some parts. It's been here uh, a little bit. Wait, we needed a uh, counterboard insert that uh, we didn't have and Cummins didn't have. So we had to wait for that to get uh, done. But it's back together. Uh, got a 2014 International with a uh, DPF planing. Got a DD15 that uh, came in for a damper and a Hawkeye and needs DPFs. It looks like the DPFs are bad. We're getting them clean right now. Um, but initially looking at them, they didn't look good. So he might need some DPFs put in his truck. And then a uh, 07379 ISX auto frame, which is a, a big job. We had to send a crank out to get polished. The crank was a little scratched up and it's out. Now's the time to do it. it. They're not terribly expensive to polish, just straighten the magnaflux of crank. And kind of crazy not to, uh, when it's out, we'll definitely be able to increase bearing wear, uh, but making sure it's straight and true. Bearing life, not wear. Bearing life. Bearing life, yes. And then we have a uh, 2015 glider with a D-Deck 4. And an outer frame, it it has just been a, I don't want to say a problem. It it came in here a while back with a crack block. The guy put an engine in it. Whoever built it tightened the one injector, which damaged the head. We had to pull the head off. Liner protrusion was bad. Deck surface wasn't good. Uh, looking into another engine, brought back the other one that was welded. They they welded it and ground it without covering anything up. So we have a you know crank and pistons and liners in an engine front cover on it, uh, covered in grit. Um, so at this point, we're looking into putting a three quarter engine, which simply makes sense if you have a and the fact that it's a 2015 truck, you know, because it was a glider, it makes sense to put a three quarter engine in it and be done with it. Getting a new block new cam I mean, all the components you just can't go wrong that that going that direction got it and the last thing we have truck is a uh 202389 with an x15 getting a radiator and a hawkeye on it as well so shop's busy good a 2023 needs the radiator 2020 389 okay 2020 okay yeah and did you say i just saw i, I get the diesel progress uh, magazine that uh Pete's coming out with the, the, the 589 to replace to replace the 389. Have you seen that yet? No. 
Okay. Yeah. So it took 10 years from to come up with this and, and basically very similar look, you know, got the big hood, very the stacks. Um, but they did with the windshield. It's a one piece windshield instead of the two piece. It looks kind of weird. Very weird. It's an odd look. I noticed that right away. It's like, that's, that's kind of weird looking. I like the one piece windshield. I like the looks of it. Uh, safer to see out of. I, I think the books mm-hmm. uh, two piece myself, but that's just preference. But apparently the three eighty nines account for twenty percent of their market. So we still had a lot of people still buying that style truck. Yeah, you know there there was talk uh, several years ago that when we got to this point with the new fuel mileage standards in trucks, which I'm not even sure if they really have them or not. It seems like they talk about them, but. It's not very clear, um, but the OEMs had said at one point they would be forced to drop their classic models because the, the way the government does this on fuel mileage is it's every truck you sell has to average out to a certain number. And the OEMs were claiming that they would not be able to achieve those numbers with classic trucks in their lineup. But it, it looks like they're still doing it. Yeah, so one of the things they had mentioned was that the market that's going after these would be like a wrecker. Yeah. You know, when, when right. something that, especially one of the recovery ones and the weight, fuel mileage is less of importance. It, it's almost and you a need non-issue, that, really. In, in, that's right. a good example. Yeah. In, okay. for, an, for a heavy wrecker, fuel mileage is really a non-issue. Um, those guys charge so much per mile that they can more than cover cost. And it does make sense to have that big, heavy-duty truck like that. So, And that's, that's part of the reason why if the government ever makes some of this stuff go away, it will really suck. The, the, the OEM should be allowed to build those specialty kind of trucks outside of that fuel mileage issue. So, Because there are still uses where, where fuel mileage just isn't that important. Not like the Cascadia. It's a good-looking truck, but could you imagine trying to recover another truck with a Cascadia? No, they're just not built for that. They're just not. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you could. I do think it, the government needs. Go ahead, Bruce. I think the government no. needs to keep their nose out of the trucking industry so much and uh, pay more attention to the economy and not worry so much about trucks and trucking. Exactly. Not the private sector. Take care of that. Exactly. Let the free market take care of that. Right now, there's a glut of EVs at uh, car dealerships. No one's buying them. Yep. Big surprise, right? Just tell us that people weren't right. Yeah. Big surprise. I talked about this, that all of a sudden, out of the blue, every manufacturer came out with multiple models of electric vehicles. Now, if you have watched cars in the past, do you pay attention to any of this stuff? I mean, most people don't want the first model year of a car or a truck, you know, unless you just want to be that first one to get it. But a lot of people would rather wait till they work out some of the problems. And those cars weren't all that different each model year. And they still have problems when they build a new model. Now they roll out five or six brand new vehicles from the ground up. These vehicles have never existed. This technology, you know, GM has not built that many electric vehicles ever. Mercedes, BMW, none of these manufacturers have built a lot of electric vehicles. And in one year, they roll out five new models. And who would want one of those? There's no way I would buy one of those cars. 
Nope, me either. If I were to buy an electric car, honestly, the only one I would consider would be a Tesla just because they have a long track record you can look at. We don't know if BMW is going to be any good at this or not, or it might take them five years to work out some of their issues. And Tesla doesn't change your vehicles much at all. No, you're right. That's a good point. And that's a good thing. They don't. And American manufacturers, hell, they're known for changing their model every year just about. Well, not lately now. No, that they, was they're getting back smarter. in the fifties and sixties and seventies. Now they're but, keeping the model years. I mean, look at the look at the pickup trucks. They change what every seven or eight years. Yeah, the the major remodel, right? And that's the one market that the American manufacturers still dominate. It's about the only market they dominate anymore. Yeah. Yeah. We'll make a good pickup truck. Yes, that we do. We'll make good sense too. All okay. right. What else you got, Pete? Yeah, as far as electric vehicles being new, uh, it, there's a show, TV show called Inside the Factory. Have you seen that? Yeah. Yep. Have you heard of it? Okay. So it, it's two English people, a guy and a girl, that, that go to different factories, and they start off with, if they're going to make baked beans, they literally start off in the field harvesting the beans right and the end of the the show it goes in the truck um, doors and loading it up but they had one on on milk and they were using electric trucks to deliver milk in the 1900s wow and That's it's wild. actually coming back now because of one they're quiet so you know back in the 1900s a uh, internal combustion engine would have been loud <laughs> right and they're delivering milk at 4 a.m right it made sense and they could plug it in. Um, but because of people worrying about like the plastics and they would deliver milk in pint glass bottles, which are recyclable mm-hmm. and they would drop them off every day or every other day. They're going back to using these trucks that are electric that were made up until the fifties. Wow. They're actually refurbishing them and, and using them to deliver milk to England now. Interesting. So pretty amazing. Um, it's amazing. You know, my, my grandfather was an owner-operator way, way, way back when, and my dad's first job was delivering milk, and he was 14 when he got the job. No license, no nothing. Started driving, <laughs> delivering milk when he was 14. <laughs> that was sort of good old days, right? Yeah, it sure was. <laughs> not so much regulation. <laughs> Clearly Regulation, not. huh? Right, yeah. <laughs> regulation. Boy, how regulation is. Uh, we, we put these people in office and all they do is regulate the working crew. Yep. Yep. And and regulation on top of regulation on top of regulation. Most of them aren't enforced. And then they say, well, look, that one didn't work. We better write another one. It, the one thing they always forget is there are people who will always break the rules. You can write 10 rules. They're going to break them anyway. I mean, it's like the whole gun issue now. Why do we want to write more gun laws? And they'll say, but look at this mass shooting that just happened. Exactly. The guy who did the mass shooting broke six laws. And you think the seventh one is going to stop him? Why? He already broke six. Why do we think one more law, one more rule, one more regulation? The trucking industry right now, we have groups that are fighting for broker transparency. They want to know how much the broker got paid for the load. There's already a law that covers that. If you ask the broker to show you, they are required by law to show you that. Now, does it work in the real world? No, it doesn't. Because brokers don't want to show you this. 
So the first time you ask for it, you'll get dropped off their preferred carrier list. That's what happens in the real world. Business finds ways around regulations. They always will. And yet this there's a law that already exists. It's never enforced. It doesn't work. And somehow they think writing another law will work. I don't know why we think this. The people who don't care about laws don't care how many laws you write. They'll just keep breaking them. It's the honest people that get punished with all this crap. All right, that's my rant. But we're getting... Guess we, uh, hey, you got still a lot of big cam stuff? It's still staying busy at the big camps. Uh, every day, you know, at least four or five phone calls, if not more, calling about, you know, what can we do for your big cam? Do we have the parts? Um, so, yeah, it's it surprised that Pat, the, or pump guy, doing pumps and injectors is about uh, six to eight weeks behind. Wow. So if you need a pump or design, I mean, hey, you can't keep up. That, doesn't that sound like maybe like 1978 all over again? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So back when I started in 87 in the pump room, there was three of us building components. Okay. Me, Pat, and Brian, you know, we did. Now, we also did turbochargers, water pumps, air compressors, after coolers, oil coolers, because it was cost effective to do them. Right. Um, now we don't have after coolers. Uh, the oil cooler is just a bundle. You know, it, it's not something that was, that you really need to know how to do. And the old after coolers and oil coolers, you kind of needed to know how to put them together. It, it wasn't just uh, swapping a couple pieces in, in, involved in it. But we had three of us working eight and a half hours a day, and then we took turns working half a day Saturday to keep up. We had tanks where we would build oil coolers and submerge them, put air pressure to them to make sure they didn't leak. Yep. Things have changed. Water pumps. We used to rebuild water pumps for small cam and big cam Cummins. Air compressors. Yeah. Turbochargers. Unfortunately, a lot of it got to the point where it was no longer cost effective to go that route. Well, the OEMs raised the price of the parts to make it uh, more expensive than buying the remand component from them. Yep. That's what they did with the injectors, raised the price of the parts. A lot of small companies started out making barrels and plungers and cups, and they would work, but not they didn't last as long as the OEM product did. All right. What else you got, Pete? Uh, that's it for me. All right. Where's Leroy? I haven't even heard a peep. Leroy, good morning. Well, let me good wake morning. him up. Yeah, there. Wake him up. I think he was dozing. It's your turn. I'm up. I'm up. All right. What's on so, your mind this week? Well, the, first thing's on my mind. the first thing is, did you ever play with that spec manager thing I sent you? I don't remember you sending it to me. Yeah, I Maybe sent I'm... it to you like the talked about on the show to the was Kevin it? at Let's Truck or whatever. You know, I should probably go search my email. I've gotten really lazy the last couple of weeks. I've been playing hooky oh, and boy. taking more time off and my emails got behind. So I'll go search it. If you sent it, I'm sure I got it. I just missed it somewhere. So the yeah, answer to your question would be really no, curious. I haven't played with it yet. Uh, well, I figured that, but I'm curious to see what you think about it. I'd like to. I'll, I'll, I'll get to it. The problem right now is the the weather is absolutely perfect for the garden, so I want to be out there. And we've been getting some really good wind. I was out on the, the river with the wing, 
um, over the weekend. And I almost went out again yesterday, but I was too sore from the weekend. So keeping an eye on the forecast today, if we get more winds after the show, I'm going to hit the river. Oh, cool. Uh, my second random thought was when we were talking about the watermelons earlier, I heard if you stop watering them before you harvest them for a period of time that they sort of dry out and they're less watery and more sugary. That's a good point. But I've heard that that, that makes that is true. That makes it taste better. Yep, it does. That's true. So, yep. Well, that works. That's enough of my gardening advice. <laughs> <laughs> um, other than that, like she said, the shop's busy, and I've been playing with this um, vibration analysis tool that we got not too long ago. Um, trying to figure out its quirks, how it works, and stuff like that, so we can better, uh, you know, serve customers as far as as far as finding vibrations. Because in the past, to try to find a vibration, it's usually um, you ask the guy with the most experience if he if he's felt this before, you know. Right. And then you go through this series of questions: in the steering wheel, is it in the seat? Well, if it's usually in the seat, that means it's this. And I mean, you can get pretty pretty close most of the time, or the guy that's most experienced in the shop can find it, like like Adam. He's good at finding vibrations, but sometimes they're pretty hard to find or it's a new vibration we haven't felt before. And what the tool does is it uh, it has an accelerometer, basically like a magnet microphone type deal. And you put it where the vibration is and it picks up all the vibrations and separates all the frequencies. And if you know how fast all the components are spinning individually, then each component will make its own frequency. And if you see a spike that's higher than normal, then you can figure out based off of the elevated spike, which component is making the vibration. So it's a pretty cool tool. And I play with it a little bit, but uh, yeah, still more to go on that. Good stuff. That's exciting. Yeah. So hopefully in a couple of weeks, I'll have, uh, you know, something ready and we can start bringing people in for some advanced vibration diagnostics. I think that'd be pretty cool. I love that. And then we'll have to have shows where we talk about it and, you know, Talk about what you're learning with all that. That'll be good. Um, one other thing, since I was talking a little bit about the river, you know, I was thinking the other day when I was out there, strongest wind I've ever been in trying to hold that wing and the power behind that wing. When the wind was gusting up to like 25, 26 miles an hour, the the feel of the power that was in that wing, it, it until you get up on the foil itself, there's enough drag on that board that it was everything I could do just to hold on to the wing. And I started thinking, this is, this is an example of what we talk about with aerodynamics, but it's kind of the opposite. You know, we're trying to get away from that wind resistance. We're trying to smooth it out and make, make it less resistance. What I'm doing is I want more resistance, that that's what powers the wing. So I got thinking about that. It, this force right. that I'm feeling is the force we're fighting against in a truck. And, yeah, you know, no, exactly. sometimes we think, oh, the wind can't make that much of a difference. Come on. I'll, I will tell you how much of a difference it makes when you're holding onto one of those wings. It is incredible the force that is generated from that. Bruce, I, I will, uh, you, you'll understand this. It, when when I got that gust, anything over about 25 miles an hour feels exactly like being yanked out of the hole with a good ski boat. Yeah. There's that much force. And, and think about it. It's just wind. That's all that is. It's just wind. How fast do you go on one of those, Kevin? What's the top speed? So, 
so here's the thing. I don't know yet because I haven't spent much time up on the foil yet. Here's the other thing, Bruce. It, I've done just, I've rode just about everything behind a boat you can ride. Uh, two skis, slalom skis, shoe skis, kneeboards, wakeboards, uh, barefoot one year, learned how to barefoot one summer. Um, this is the hardest thing I've ever tried to learn on the water. I'm really frustrated with it. I'm still not really even proficient at this yet. I haven't spent a whole lot of time up on the foil. But what happens when I did get up on the foil this past weekend, a 25 mile an hour wind when you catch that full in the wing, I'm sure I hit about 40 miles an hour. And it was only for a couple seconds and then I crashed and the crash was pretty spectacular. Uh, but the, the speed potential is pretty incredible. That foil has no resistance. And you get a, I mean, there are times we're going to get 30 mile an hour winds here in the gorge. I can't imagine how fast you could get going. We had uh, 39 Saturday night and it took down a lot of trees and fire lines down in Maryland. And uh, that's my job this afternoon is to finished cutting down one of the trees that came over. Yeah, that's... But uh, you mentioned barefooting. Um, you and I both did barefoot water skiing, and only a tenth of a percent of the water skiers, one-tenth of one percent, can actually barefoot. And you and I both were barefooters. You know, I, I was just thinking, I, I said, this is the hardest thing I've learned. That's not true. It did take me a lot longer to learn barefoot. It just didn't seem so frustrating back then. I'm not sure why. Um, but I, I remember it took me almost all summer, on and off. It wasn't like I was trying it every day. But that summer, every time we would go out to ski, you know, we'd, we'd do a few slalom runs and goof around, and then we'd start playing with things. And I decided I was going to learn how to barefoot. It took me most of that summer to learn it. I was on a slalom course on Sunday, but I was on a sea do instead of on a slalom <laughs> ski. And, but... Uh, a lot of great memories. I yeah. tell people I studied the Salon course more than I studied grades one through 12. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, anyway, Leroy, do you have anything, any unusual tunes that we've done or any unusual ECMs that have been shipped in? Mm, I'm still working on my D12 project. Um, the D12 Volvo, a little bit older, I think a 2007. Uh, the first round went pretty well, but we're trying to get a little bit more out of it. So that's still a, a project in the work. That's a bit unusual. Okay. All right. Let's uh, let's get to some phone calls then because they're piling up on us. Let's get started in New York today. Jeff, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Um, good afternoon, uh, folks. Hey, I've got a uh, 2013 Volvo with a Cummins engine, trying to get as good a fuel mileage as I possibly can, and I noticed I've got an engine fan that runs all the time. And the reason it runs all the time is because it has a viscous two-speed fan clutch in it. And I don't know, are you familiar with that particular clutch? Somewhat. Okay, well... um, it runs the fan all the time. I mean, when the engine needs cooling, it'll kick it up to, like, run at high speed like a normal fan clutch would work. But then when it doesn't need that, it runs the fan at low speed 
all the time. And I got to do some research, and they say that this works great, you know, with trucks, uh, like garbage trucks, and any truck that mostly does city work where they don't get out on the highway to get that airflow into the radiator to help keep it cool. But, you know, it's trying to get fuel mileage here. I'm wondering how much is that fan running all the time, even though it's just running on, like, a lower speed. How much is that affecting my fuel mileage, and would it be worth it to switch out and put a different uh, clutch in there? You know, that's a good question because that viscous drive is what they have on the diesel pickup trucks, and it doesn't seem to bother them. I don't know if there's that much drag, if it's worth the price of going to, uh, like, a Wharton fan drive. Um that's a good question. We've never had that question. Uh, Leroy, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, yeah, it's definitely got a Bob horsepower. Uh, probably on the low side, it's probably going to run. It's Leroy, I'm having trouble hearing you. Jack Rockwell, we're here. Uh-oh. Jack Rockwell, it is. But hold on, Uh-oh. what's going on? background noise so uh, that must be the caller with all the background noise hold on a second uh, yep there we go I can just mute his line till he needs to answer go ahead Leroy I was saying yeah probably on the low side it's probably gonna rob 15 to 20 horsepower so I mean that is that is a drag but I mean how much we're unsure I would be I would assume it's probably the same as maybe what like overdrive uh, like uh, that input shaft parasitic losses you know what i mean with that three percent yeah do you really think it would be that much you think it would be that much on that viscous drive yeah well i mean if you think about a fan at full speed it's got to be probably 40 to 60 horsepower depending on the size of the fan the number of blades the angle of the blade i mean different fans draw different amount of horsepower so if you figure it Half of that somewhere, you know, could be 15, 20, maybe even up to 30, just depends on the, the drive. But I don't think that's going to equate to a pile of mileage. I would say that it's probably maybe a tenth or two. But, I mean, that's – we talk sure. about it all the time. A tenth or two is really hard to spot. I'm not it sure is. how much uh, – replace it either. You know, right. at what point – if the fan goes bad, I, I would replace it with uh, – just a air air clutch where it's either on or off, but I'm not sure if, if you would save enough money to justify making that change now. How about if we put an auxiliary water tank on this using an air tank and take the fan off and then wait wait till October or November and try that or even December and run it without the fan and then you'd know for sure. I mean, if, if I could get a used fan, like a regular on-off fan, I would probably do that and swap out that. that fan. I mean, every ounce counts, so uh, I would do it. And I would, swap it out. I, I would probably do it sooner rather than later. I'd hate to have this thing fail on a, you know, 100-degree August day somewhere. Right. Yeah, hmm. I wouldn't know. I don't think the viscous fans are as efficient as the air fans that are locked on. When they're locked on, they're on. Yeah, I don't think so either. All right, let's, uh, I forgot I had Jeff muted. Um, Jeff, what do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, I just know on, like, on my 12.7, if I ever have an issue where the fan is, is stuck on all the time, I lose 
I know a half a mile per gallon with that, but that is with the fan running full speed. Correct. So, yeah, that's why I'm just curious how much I'm losing here with, you know, if, if you're trying to get optimum fuel mileage, you don't want to be turning a fan all the time. Correct. And, and we know you're losing something. But there's no way, because of the way that viscous fan works, there's no way for us to predict what you're losing other than your own fuel mileage records. You know, after 30 or 60 days, you might look at this and go, oh, yeah, look, I lost two or three tenths. Now, we're not always positive. It's, you know, one truck fuel mileage can be all over the board for a lot of different reasons. But if you've been tracking really well and you know a lot of other things haven't changed and you drop two or three tenths, well, it's going to be the fan. My take on this is we know something is broke. Why don't we just fix it? Well, this isn't gross. See, that, that's well, the problem. It's working properly, and I have nothing to compare it to as to, you know, what it was working like before this was on there or, or anything. This is what it came with. Uh, yeah, that's another issue. That I, So we don't have any prior. So we can't tell from your records even because we have nothing prior to this. I didn't realize that. Um, yeah, there's no right. way, there's no way we're going to know without you making a change. Okay. And I can't tell you that, well, right. I, that you're going to see a significant enough change to make it worth it. Right. Well, I was just hoping that maybe you folks had run across this before in your experience and maybe somebody had made a change, and, uh, the, but apparently not. The only experience I've had around the fan issue and fuel mileage is people trying electric fans, and nobody has really gotten any spectacular results or even stuck with it. I mean, I've seen a, a couple of temps. Um, it's not as easy as it sounds. It usually requires multiple fans, multiple small fans instead of one big one. Um, and, and we just could never really prove that there was enough of a gain. But that's about the only thing. I've never really uh, worked with anybody on this type of a fan. Right. Yeah. Well, I, what I would like to maybe do is just put a just put a regular fan, one that's got, that's, you know, run by air, and you put a solenoid on, and it just comes on according to temperature. I'm wondering if that, and even if I would pick up two to three tenths, I mean, oh, if over the life of the truck, I, if we knew you could pick up two tenths, one tenth, if we knew for sure that was happening, it would make sense to do it. We just don't know that. For right. Sure. Right. Okay, well, I guess I'll just have to make a decision. I'll see yeah. if I can talk to anyone else that maybe knows anything and then make a decision whether I want to make that change or not. But like I said, as, as for right now, the fan is working properly as it should. It's just, uh, I'm just wondering how much extra fuel I'm using turning that fan all the time. We, we know there's fuel being used. It's impossible not to, but we just... Right with the way that fan operates there's just no way to really figure out what it is gotcha okay all right well thank you kevin and bruce and i appreciate you guys input thank you you're welcome thanks for the call let's go to that was an interesting that is an interesting call and i'm wondering why we didn't come across that more often but i just don't know how popular those fans are so it seemed like a few years ago, I would see more of those being advertised, that, that style fan, to help with fuel mileage and efficiency. And then they just kind of died off. And then 
don't know if I've ever saw it any in the shop at this point. So what that usually tells you is, you know, there was a thought that it might work for fuel mileage and one of two things happened. Either it didn't improve fuel economy at all or not enough that anybody cared or it may have. But there were other issues with them because normally if something works, they would continue doing it. Pete, years ago, Jerry Herhogger with his A model Kenworth with a K in it. He ran without a fan and he ran Chicago in the summertime and the radiator was large enough. He didn't need a fan. Wow. Yeah. I think that had a 17 or 18 gallon capacity engine and rad in the old KTAs. You know, the other trucks, 12 truck nowadays, the other trucks, it should be possible to do this, to run without a fan would be a lot of the, the more recent gliders because they have those huge hoods, big openings that were all built for these high temperature emission engines. And you drop a Series 60 in one of those things and and they don't need a whole lot of cooling. They cool really well. It's the, the bigger radiator, the big hood opening, um, the 12.7 and probably an N14. They run pretty cool in those trucks. Plus we add the auxiliary tank and add right. another five or six gallon of coolant. And that puts us up to 16 gallons. So, you know, I know things can get more complicated on these newer trucks with temperature and all that, but certainly the gliders and the older trucks, maybe that is the approach. Maybe you just build the truck so it doesn't need a fan. Maybe we ought to take a 379 with our radiator that has 400 tubes in it, add the auxiliary tank, and take the fan off. Yeah. That might be. Well, the actually, just make the fan so it, just make the fan so it won't come on. Leave the fan on there with a manual switch. Leroy could figure out how to bypass it or put a switch on it just in case uh, the driver gets into a hot situation. I, I like that. It would be interesting to fan. try. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. All right. And, you know, they make some different fan that are more efficient than others. Uh, Horton made a, uh, a Windmaster. No, it was for older trucks, and it would deliver 20% more volume of air at 15% less horsepower. And they helped out a lot with guys that had, say, a moderate heat issue. Right. Where the fan ran a little more than they cared for. Um, and it might not have been an issue, but in your mind it was. You would buy a, a $250 fan, and when it did kick on, it didn't stay on very long because it moved more air and would shut itself off much sooner. And that was a pretty affordable option to uh, bring temps down. Yeah, and you know, the, the temp issue, you could see the results pretty quickly. Put the fan on, go out and run in a, in a situation that you used to overheat and see what happens. Did, is there some improvement? You could figure that out pretty quickly. Trying to figure out fuel mileage gains from anything with the fan seems almost impossible. There just doesn't seem to be enough gain or loss. Now, the idea of running completely without a fan or just having one on a truly manual switch as a backup, maybe that is the answer. Maybe we will see enough of a fuel mileage gain. Nothing else we've done with fans, electric or, you know, a, a more efficient fan, nothing seems to make enough of a difference in fuel mileage that anybody bothers. So we need somebody with a 379 that runs our radiator to put on the auxiliary coolant tank back in the frame rail and actually you can you can hear when the fan comes on so just see maybe the fan won't come on 
We don't have to put a switch on it. Uh, just make a, a mental note on a trip, how many times the fan comes on versus what it, what it does now versus when we had the auxiliary tank. Right. The ECM keep kind of fan coming on? No. They were, but it would keep track of any high water temp. Yes. So we would be able to see if the water temp became an issue by just plugging into the ECM with removing the fan. You know, I think yeah. the, the other... Driver, you know, saying, hey, it ran hot, would be able to say, no, it didn't. Uh, you know, you didn't get any warnings for high water temp. I will say that we've had quite a few people come in here to have their fans fixed because it doesn't come on. So I'm assuming if the fan doesn't come on, that's a bad thing. Uh, you know, I don't think that yeah. the cooling system can reject that. We have air intake temp you have to deal with. You would need a bigger or better radiator, and probably you have to put less heat into the system, which usually means turning the horsepower down. And especially uh-huh. with EGR, then you shut the EGR off, then you get less heat protection. Well, and I'm talking, Leroy, I'm talking about a 2002 and older truck. Yeah, and I, I was going to say the other truck that I think is ideal for this is all the Coronado gliders. The Coronado had a pretty darn big hood and opening, and we put a better radiator in there and the, the auxiliary tank. And I think a lot of those Coronado gliders might be able to do this. I don't know. It's get, it's getting hard to build custom radiators now. Uh, LKQ's buying so many shops, radiator shops, and they're just wanting to do standard radiators. But uh, that's why I keep going back to the 379 because that is the largest radiator there is, the one that we have built with the 400 tubes. And that would be the perfect test truck. Six NZ, five EK, one LW, or N14, or ISX, uh, or a glider with a D deck four with our rad in it and the auxiliary tank. And just leave the fan on and just, just make a mental note or have a tablet and a piece of paper sitting on the passenger seat and just make a line every time you hear the fan come on. I think you're going to see the fan doesn't come on. Interesting Pete, stuff. Pete, over the years when we do these, when we do the auxiliary coolant tank, I think a lot of people say that they hardly ever hear their fan coming on anymore. Hey, it, hey guys. It definitely makes a difference. We, um, yes. we got to get to some calls. We've been sitting here, and, and I love this idea, and I want to continue with this, and I, I think this will be a fun project, but the calls are just piling up on us. And one of them, this one coming okay. up, it might help us here. Uh, Chad in Missouri, go ahead. Hey guys, uh, Bruce, this is Chad Tennant out of South Dakota here. I've, I've done this, uh, this conversion on the truck that I'm driving. The only difference would be I went from a two-speed Horton to a single-speed Horton, so it's already air-driven. The, the low speed that's, you know, is a direct drive that, that goes constantly and keeps the, the temp down. Right away, I did notice that my fan kicks on more, but you're exactly right on the gains, uh, right at quarter mile a gallon going to the single speed. The problem is, actually, yeah, the, the temp climbs up. Your fan will kick on more often and in city driving. So I did put the uh, auxiliary tank on like I have my other trucks and added five gallons. This one I mounted under the sleeper to catch a little more airflow. And to tie into last week's conversation, the nice part, what I did is I put a, put a small radiator up front got rid of the transmission cooler and so i have an air-cooled transmission now um and i use the same lines that were already there out of the back of the head to run new coolant lines so now instead of using 
one supply line in and out. Um, I don't know. I'd have to do the math on the volume of coolant that I'm moving, but I'm using two different lines. It's got to be moving more coolant that way. And then I've got shutoff valves in there that I can just shut those off in the wintertime. Uh, the uh, transmission temp at air cooled, fully loaded, and you know when I'm when I'm pulling the mountains or the hills and even Montana, uh, highest I see is about 175 on the transmission temp. So how did you make the transmission air cooled? I ran lines from the existing where the uh, the previous transmission cooler went in. I uh, just put a pipe nipple in and ran it to the front of the radiator, and then the the transmission itself just drives the the fluid or the oil up to the front and back around. Oh, okay. Just ran it along the along the frame rails and tucked it in there. Okay. Is this the truck with the ISX? Oh, that's right. Yes, it's a 2016 Peterbilt 2015 X15. Okay. And you bought the air tank and you put it back under the bunk? Yep. Did you put it uh, sideways or lengthways with the truck? It is lengthways with the truck. Okay. And so did you notice the fan now hardly runs? Yes. It, it doesn't. It's not that it hardly runs but it doesn't kick on as often. Um, when you get in a good pull, it'll still kick on, but it just warms up to, you know, it'll get up to 195, 200, we'll say. And then there's times, like I said, when you're pulling the hills, yeah, the fan kicks in. But when you get those little ones, just the little rises, your your temp will maintain before the, before the fan kicks in. You can get over those little hills before using that extra power and horsepower. So, and you gained a quarter mile of a gallon by adding that extra coolant tank. Yes. Yep. Well, wow. yes, by adding the, the coolant and going from two-speed Horton to the single speed. And did you buy a new fan hub to do that? Nope. It, and that might be the difference on his Volvo. In the Peterbilt, it's already air-driven and it's set up with the solenoid, so I didn't have to change anything. Plug and play. Pull the old one off, uh, put the new one on, and the solenoid works just the same. Nothing changed. With his viscous driven, it would be a little different. but Yeah, interesting. Uh, yeah, he'd have to add the air drive and a solenoid, but um, other than that, it would be the same conversion as far as two speed to one. Chad, do you mind if I say a little, something about you? Sure, go ahead. Uh, years ago, I wrote an article. I said, if you're single and you ha you're an owner-operator and you don't have a house or a garage, build a garage with living quarters. And Chad did. And uh, then I said, situate it so if you, in case you get married, you can add a house to it. So he added a house to it. Well, it turned out his, his wife likes cars, so she wanted part of the garage. So he built her a separate two-car garage. Hey, 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 Bruce, have you have you seen these things they call barn dominiums? No, but I've seen the airport hangers that you have your airplane, your hot rods, and your truck, and your uh, your house all in one yeah. hanger. That's kind of a barn dominium. So the idea really is kind of the opposite of what we do with houses. You know, we tend to build a pretty big house and a one- or two-car garage. These are basically you build big garages and hangers and then you put a house in it or you put living quarters in it. But it's more of right. a barn yeah. or a hangar or, yeah, they actually call them barn dominiums. Okay. Out where yeah. we're at in the, in the Midwest, they call them shouses, shop houses. Oh, okay. I haven't but, heard that term yet. Uh, I didn't know. 
when I when I did mine in 2004, I only knew of a couple of them in my area, but everybody does it now. But the original building was 50 by 90. I took 15 feet out of one side, made it two two uh, levels high with 16 foot sidewalls. When I had, well, I think it was before the fourth daughter. But anyway, we started out growing it, and we added on another. I think I think it was just another 2,000 square feet. We added on, but and the garage and all that, but. So you're up to four four girls now and no boys. Four daughters, twenty laying hens, uh, two female cats, two heifers, and one steer. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So even even the other the other males not a not a male anymore. Oh, no, even no. the males not. Oh, I'm sorry. We can't get into uh, gender discussions you. today. No. <laughs> you had them neutered. Anyway. You had them neutered. I, I yeah. Well, no, I did it myself. But <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> and you're in spearfish, right? That's correct. Yes. Okay. If I ever get to start just again, I'm coming by to see you. I hope so. I hope so. It's coming okay. up. Week and a half. Oh uh, yeah, it's not going to happen this year. So. No. But- all right. All right. That's all I needed. I've I've done. Thanks, it. Dad. It helps. It Thank, works. It's thanks for putting it. that tank in and letting us know. Yes. Good stuff. Let's go to Michigan. Dave, welcome to the program. Hi. Um. Pro- I got an '01 International, the '60 series, and the problem I'm having is my water temperature gauge goes goofy. It'll go drop down to like 120, and then the fan will kick on. And then it might go all the way over and bury itself and stay there for 20 minutes and the fan will run. And every once in a while, I'll lose my boost when this happens. I won't, I don't have no pedal and then it'll go away and run fine for a couple hours or it might do this off and on for all day long. So this is and a D-Deck 4? Yes. Um, I, now I'm going to let Leroy say this, but I'm going to say when we discovered these problems years ago, it was the battery was bad in the ECM. It, and that the, the first problem I had like a year ago, it was actually the ECM. It would just the, I'd lose all my boost, and I had none, and I would pull over, and if I shut the truck off, it did all kinds of goofy stuff. And then if you just let it sit and cool, seem like it cooled down for a half hour it would be fine and i called out you guys and they were saying ground so i cleaned all my grounds really good everyone i could find and that did eliminate the truck you know from shutting right down but uh, this water temperature gauge issue hasn't went away and it's and it's not getting warm i'll you know i'll shoot it with my temp gun and it's it's running 190 195 it's you know it's running normal temperature but when it does go to the low side when I touched the throttle, I got just gobs of black smoke rolling out of it. When it when the water temperature gauge is reading low, Leroy. So the water temp gauge and the boost gauge do they sweep when you turn the key on, or do they not? Uh, the water temperature does. I've never really paid attention to the boost. It's your it's a boost gauge from you guys. I've never paid attention to whether that sweeps or not. <laughs> Mechanical gauge. Okay. So you, yeah, mechanical from you. And your your so your coolant temp gauge sweeps. What about the rest of your gauge, like your tag yes. and oil pressure? Yeah. They all sweep. Yeah. That's telling me it's and what, and, that. 
and when it goes to the low, when it when the temperature gauge either buries itself and stays there or it goes low and stays there, the oil pressure will go up about five pounds, the oil pressure gauge. Yeah, so Until, what it sounds like is when you have an issue where you have multiple sensors acting up at once, it's something that's shared among them. And typically what we find is all the sensors are shared with one five volt line on a DDEC4. So you have one five volt source that powers all the pressure sensors. So that's going to be your oil pressure, your boost sensor, your coolant temp, um, things like that, right? So when something yeah. happens at that five volt line, whether it's the ECM, the wiring, or one of the sensors is having an issue, it drags all the sensors down. So if you're having an issue with one or more sensors at the same time, then I would check either the sensor ground, which is not going to be like your cab ground. That's going to be the sensor wire ground that goes from the sensors back to the ECM or the five volt wire that goes from the sensors back to the ECM. And it's your problem is going to be on one of those two wires or the ECM itself. Okay. How is there, is, are them off the ECM or is the wires, uh, can I figure out which ones? Is, this, is it a certain color wire or how would I figure that out? Which wire? Uh, which? So it, if you email me uh, at Leroy at PittsburghPower.com, I will send back over the pinout to you. And the pinout oh, okay. has like a letter with a number. So like you might say, the five volt supply reference voltage is on pin B3. I'm not sure if that's what it is. It's just making a number up. And then you can trace that back from the picture on the diagram to the one on yours. You can use a multimeter and sort of a wiggle test, which just simply means you're doing a continuity check while shaking the wires around the harness. And if you see that wire break up, then that's where you know it's the, the issue's at. Okay. All right. I will, I will do that. Okay. Okay. Thanks for the info. Thanks for the call. Let's yep. grab another one. We're off to Arizona this time. Patrick, welcome to the program. Hi, guys. Pleasure to speak with all of you. I've got a couple questions about some engines. Uh, we're looking at getting a dump truck uh, on the cheaper side, so obviously used. And one of the trucks that's caught my eye, it's a 2006 Freightliner FLV 120 Classic. And the only reason I clicked on this truck, I found it on Commercial Truck Trader, was that uh, I was assuming it would probably have a Detroit 12.7 in it, but actually it's got a Mercedes engine in it. And I don't know anything about Mercedes engines. Run the other way. Go ahead. Run the other way. Okay. (laughs) Enough said. Well, I can... Okay. I had that engine, and I will tell you it was the worst engine I've ever owned. It caused me more problems um, in the first year I owned it than any other new truck I've ever owned. I had to have it towed in three times in the first year, towed back in. I've never had trucks that I have to tow back. That one got towed back three times for, for fuel line issues. The fuel lines would break and start spraying fuel all over the place. That happened a couple times. That that engine, it did not get good fuel economy. It didn't have impressive power. There was nothing I could say about that engine that would make you want to own it. Okay, well, you've answered my question let me about give you, that truck. Let me then. give you one more so reason. I got it. Let, let me give you one more reason. Find okay. somebody who knows how to work on it. Right. That was my. That was going to be my next question. There is nobody with 20 years experience on that engine. I bet there's nobody with 10 years. Yeah. 
parts would probably be an issue. All right, I, well, I, then yeah, my, stay far away from that thing. Okay, good to know. I appreciate that. I've got one more engine that Bruce would probably tell me a lot about. And this one is just an oddball little truck that we're kicking around. It's a Ford F800 with uh, 5.9 Cummins in it. And, um, you know, it's been a long time since I've been around that engine. But I remember hearing, and it's been a long time ago, something about a pin on the front of the engine behind the front cover that tends to back out. Um, I was wondering if you guys could tell me a little bit more about that and what is that, what's going to be the, what's that going to affect if that pin does back out? And let me ask you a question. Is that a single axle dump truck? Yes, sir. It's a six wheel. And what will be the gross weight? I, well, I, I'm not sure. It's a 26,000 pound DBRW uh, or whatever that is. Um, Gross vehicle weight so, rating. Uh, 26,000. It's a great engine. I just think, are you on, are you in flat land or are you in hilly country? Uh, yeah, kind of some mountainous. We're in Arizona. Up in yeah. Northeastern Arizona. I, I think, I think I'm familiar with your territory. I think it's, it's too small of an engine for what you want to do. What kind of weight have you said okay. it? I guess twenty-six thousand. Uh, yeah, you're gonna struggle. I had that five-nine in an RV, and I think I also had either four thirty-something gears or even four fifty-something gears. So the whole point was try to make up for that lack of horsepower with gearing, and it worked okay. But I didn't like towing anything with that RV. It was just barely adequate for the RV itself. Towing anything was not a pleasant, yeah. pleasant experience. So I, I wouldn't recommend it. It's a great okay. engine, well, but not, not for that application and not where you are. It is. I really liked right. the engine. It was easy to work on. I had plenty of room in the coach. It, it, I liked the engine itself, but it, it was not enough power even for that RV. So I, I wouldn't want to do what you're trying to do with it. Okay, well, I appreciate it, guys. I'm a huge listener, and I've made up my mind that uh, the Pittsburgh Power Hour is to a truck driver what I Love Lucy re reruns are to, I guess, a housewife, because <laughs> I I work nights and weekends, and so I catch up on the shows on my at night and on the weekends. I'm finding myself listening to shows from a year and a half ago and just still enjoying them. And, you know, so I hear everything you guys say about over-the-road trucks, and I know those pretty well just from what you guys have taught me, but we're kicking around this dump truck idea, and I, I don't know much about this style of truck and what, what's good. What, you want to, what I want you to do is email me. Every time you find a truck and you're interested in, email me the specs on it. And even if you can email me pictures... And uh, let me help you with this. You know, I don't know, okay. I don't I know how that. many of them are out there, but I, I would, if, if I were looking at an engine for an operation like this, I'd be really looking for an N14. But, yeah, we're kind of thinking to go a little smaller, so okay. I don't, I don't know. I've, I've been then, looking around, and 
yeah, I've heard you bragging about the N14, so I'm that's in the back of my mind. The, but the, uh, at the same time, we're kind of thinking start small. The other possibility, and you've looked at some pretty old vehicles, so if you could find something with an 11-liter Detroit, if you want something smaller, that would be an outstanding engine. Okay. How, how many tons do you want to haul in the bed? Uh, basically, it's just going to depend on the truck that we end up with. Oh, got it. Okay. And what its capacity is. Right. Yeah. So, personally, I'd be looking for a um, deck 4 Detroit C12 Cat, anything like that. I would rather have a larger engine than what I need as opposed to a smaller engine. So, okay. if you're going to be running from Phoenix up to Flagstaff and back and forth in those mountains... Even if you have a Class 8 truck, and you, and I, I, I'd probably start out with a Class 8 truck and put a dump body on it. So that's probably what I would do if I couldn't find the truck. Yeah, well, we're just looking to do local, local around town, and this is up in eastern Arizona, up in the Sholo area. So it's gonna, it's not gonna see much highway speed. Probably the highest highway speed will be 55, but we do have some mountains. It's gonna do local deliveries. Uh, you know, probably. 12, or 30, 12 to 14 loads a day and never more than 20, about 20 miles at a, at a time. Uh, okay, you still need to go bigger engine than what you think you're going to need if you're going to do that much work with it. Okay. I thought maybe right, you were well, going to use it to pull like an excavator and maybe it was going to run a couple of days a week, but you're talking 12, 14 loads a day. Now, go bigger. I agree. Go bigger and uh, haul less and then you're you won't have problems. I, I agree. I would still look at an 11 liter. I think that's big enough. Five, nine, not even close. Um, but I'd consider right. the 11 liter for sure. It's just the 11 liters, nothing wrong with it. How are you going to find one? That is the bigger challenge. There's no doubt. Um, again, if you can go back and find a tractor and then build the dump truck, that would probably be easier um, you know, there, there's really lots of options in that market. But if you don't understand a lot of those engines, and, and it sounds like he's looking for advice, you really should call every time. There there are probably 20 different options for a, for a truck like this. But you want to be careful which one you get. Yeah. And I wouldn't focus on fuel economy. That's not an issue here. What you really want to focus on is power and dependability and lifetime. That's right. You, you will wear out a 5.9. And you'll wear yourself out trying to drive it in that operation too. Let's uh, let's keep rolling through the calls here. Let's go to Wyoming. Mike, welcome. Hey, how's it going? Good. What's on your mind? Hello. Oh, oh, uh, not much. I just wanted to go over a, a truck that I just recently purchased, and uh, I feel I got a pretty good deal on it. Um, but I just wanted to go over the specs on it. Um, it's a Volvo. 730 has a the XE 455 um, 12-speed auto shift with 264 gears. And now I'm in Wyoming, and I'm pulling mountains, obviously, and I'm usually around 80,000 pounds. I uh, run step deck, but my only concern is uh, the 264 gears. I never went that low, but I heard many a times the rear ratio really doesn't make much difference well, wait, but stop, i don't stop, stop i right just want to run <laughs> stop right there the rear yeah. end gear makes all the yeah. difference 
all the difference. Don't let anybody okay. tell you the rear end gear doesn't make much of a difference. Here's how this should be approached. Yeah. Now you've already bought the trucks. There's not a lot okay. you can do and changing gears can be expensive. That should yeah. be thought of ahead of time. I'm not saying you would never buy a truck and then well, change gears. Sometimes you will. Well, I do have I do have another set of axles from a Volvo that are uh, a higher, um, a lower gear ratio if I had what, to. What um, but uh, uh, they're 325s. Yeah, no, don't. And that's I brand those, don't, and I've don't and, do that. Don't do not put those gears in there. That would not be a good idea. Okay, you're better off with these. Okay. Um, yeah. But here's when when if somebody ever tells you that rear end gear doesn't make much difference, run the other way well, and don't ask. I, I didn't mean it. For I didn't about anything. No, I didn't mean it, and I didn't mean it in that way. As far as I and I know, I listen to your show all the time. Um, and it has a lot to do with the transmission um, and to match those gears. I mean, I listened no, to Joel let, let, uh, let, talking let's about go the, the whole process here. So the first thing, okay. if you're going to spec a truck, you identify your operation. What kind of weight, what terrain, what yeah. speed, those, that's the first yeah. consideration. Now, once we know what we're building the truck for, then we, for me, we uh -huh. always start with an aerodynamic truck. That's not an option. What engine are we going to put in it? Yeah. That's, that's usually preference, you know, what you like. And I always tell people, think about what you can get worked on. Are there shops in your area that will yeah. work on that engine that you can build a relationship with? Now, once we pick an engine, then we pick a transmission and tire size. And now yeah. after we pick all of those things, then the single most important factor is which gear ratio is going to work based on our operation, our speed and the engine and transmission and tire size we already have. That's why the rear end gear is the most yeah. critical part of this, because we can take yeah. any setup and put the best gear in it and get the best results. But you could have a really good setup, put the wrong gear in it and screw it all up. Yeah. Now, on this truck, um, tell me a little bit about your operation. Uh -huh. It did say 80,000 pounds were part of the country most of the time. Um, I'm running... Uh, from Wyoming down to uh, Salt Lake area and Denver area. Sometimes I go out Midwest. Every once in a while, I'll head out to um, Kentucky. I never go out onto the West Coast. So the odds are you... you that's, spend, and that's pretty much it. You'll probably spend quite a bit of time on level ground for the most part. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I have... Yeah, there's a couple of passes I have to pull. Um, South Pass is one of them. Um, that's, that's, and then I, there's parleys coming into. Yeah, but it's, it's not a, and, big, um, I have it, another, my venture, I would venture to say you're less than 5% of the time on much of an incline at all. So any truck can yeah, yeah. be fine for that. We don't really need to spec for those pulls. Uh, how fast do you like to drive? Okay. I, it, I'm, I'm kind of going with like, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, if you're pushed for a load and it has to get there, I don't mind going up. But I usually just cruise along 65, 68 miles an hour. I would. Leave, um, that's where the I, trucks. I would leave these gears alone. Yeah, and, and um, like I, I obviously I drove it back bobtail. 
I, I bought this truck kind of taking a gamble. Uh, it was a bank repo, and I got it. Um, I feel a pretty good deal on it. Paid uh, 25 cash for it. How many miles? And uh, 660. You got a killer deal. Serious? That is. That yeah, I, that's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah, and I bought it. It was at a dealership, and they were selling it as a the bank had the dealership sell it for him, and uh, so he didn't know anything about mission emission trucks at all. All he sold were pre emission trucks. So he didn't know anything, and but I have other that can, well, I can now, do pretty much what a dealership can do. So here, here's what I would do, um, and I know you're not necessarily close to Pittsburgh, and you probably don't run that far, but no. you, mentioned, you did mention <laughs> no. Kentucky, and honestly, yeah. when, when you're in Kentucky, you're not that far from Pittsburgh. Yeah, and it, my mom lives out there, so I usually go there's, out there and do a 34 hour reset and here's what I would see my mom. So because that was a repo, yeah. here's the one thing I can tell you. Yeah. For the last 12 okay. months or more of that truck's life, it did not get taken care of. <laughs> and I agree with that. And that's why I was wanting to find out. I mean, I run uh, max mileage on my truck uh, already. Here's what I would do. And let's, um, let's, just, I, let's just cut to the chase. Schedule a trip to to Kentucky or the farthest east you can get with the load on and then get to Pittsburgh and have them do the Hawkeye report because you you really need to find those things that haven't been taken care of. And the Hawkeye report is the best way I know of finding all of that stuff. And then while it's in there, have, have them look at that specific truck and what you can do on fuel mileage and start start doing some of the modifications, fleet air filters, OPS. Um, but I, I would leave the gears alone on okay. this truck. You, you've got lots of other things okay. you can do. These gears are not bad at all for what you're doing. This truck is spec'd pretty well, and I, I, I think you stole this one. Okay. All right. Yeah, I, I took a gamble on it. Uh, when I hooked up our computer, um, it literally, uh, it was a valve and a seventh injector, and I'm going change the death filter on it just as a preventive because i don't know anything well, well, uh, but it's like well, go ahead you talking about your dpf no the uh, the death filter there's oh, a filter death, on these volvos um just okay. yeah yeah just do the just do the simple um well you know what it, easy maintenance it, things and it, tr- it probably <laughs> also needs a what year was this uh, 2015. Oh yeah, it probably needs a DPF cleaning. You can get that done while you're at Pittsburgh Power as well. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of like what the call was too. It was kind of like tell you about the spec of the truck that I had and what you would recommend as taking right. this because I don't have any information on this truck at all. That's. Right. I mean, it seems that, everything is really well maintained on it, but you never know. Did you do a rig dig? A what? Okay, you didn't. Um, you can still do it. It nope. will give us some information. It's rigdig.com. Okay. So go to rigdig.com. Okay. It's basically a Carfax okay. report for a truck. And it's even better than a Carfax okay. report. So it will report all the same things Carfax can. Was there a title brand at one okay. point? Is it, you know, who owned it? How many times has it been sold? 
all of those things, just like you get on a Carfax report. But RigDig can go even deeper because every inspection that truck ever goes through is recorded and it's public information. So in a RigDig report, you. you'll also get every roadside inspection, any accident it might have been in. Okay. These commercial vehicles are documented. Yeah. And rig dig goes and gets all yeah. those documents. So I, I would go run a rig dig report yeah. on it, get the um, the Hawkeye report done, get a fuel mileage uh, evaluation on it, and you're going to be off to the races. I I, I can tell you I would have bought this truck. Yeah, I know it came from a fleet, and the fleet just went belly up for whatever reasons. Um, I could have bought a sister truck for it. That was spec the same, but it had uh, EGR uh, issues that they knew of, and I didn't want to deal with that. Did, how much did they sell that one for? Their bottom dollar was 18000 Oh, man, I'd take that in a heartbeat. We can fix those EGR issues. Those don't worry me anymore. Yeah, but, but it, uh, it did something with the – it blew the radiator and it, when it back-pressured. I mean, there were some issues – and uh, I don't know. I don't know if I really want to dig into it. No, you know, and, and you, it was just as clean. Like you could. You can't go wrong with the truck you bought. I would really be interested in the eighteen thousand yeah. dollar truck too. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, not that I can you get it. Go, no, like you, you should there. not. Uh, you should not. That wasn't in your <laughs> okay. plan. You, you're not. Okay. You know, looking to no. own multiple trucks, but for somebody else, somebody yeah. in the market for a truck, if I were in the market for a truck, I'd be really interested in the $18,000 truck. Now, it's possible yeah. I could look at it and go, no, there's just way too much wrong. I don't want to mess with this, but that might be a real opportunity. There. Yeah. This might be easy to fix. Yeah, Remember, and we you, were just you were the thinking one that said this dealer knows nothing about emission trucks. Nothing. This might not be Nothing. a big deal at yeah. all. Well, it's like this other one. Um, he thought it was going to be like $5,000 to fix. And right now, it's, I'm in it at the one I bought, $335. Th that's what I mean. That, that I wouldn't take this guy's word yeah. for it that, oh, it's got yeah. a lot of problems. It, it may not. And they may be simple yeah. problems to fix. Yeah. I got you. So yeah. since, okay. since you're not you're not interested in buying the second one, right? Not seriously. No, not really. Want to let us know where it is, in case somebody else is. Um. Yeah, it's uh, uh, in Salt Lake City. Precision truck. Okay. Yeah, that the the red seven thirty Volvo. If you know all the people that I was telling a year ago, do not buy a truck. Wait, there's going to be bargains everywhere. This eighteen thousand dollar truck is yeah. one of those. This could be a huge bargain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and I don't think it has. Well, the thing doesn't say it has a whole lot of idle hours, and it has a BQ cool um, cooling system. I know uh, the, the other day you guys were talking about an alternate um, AC system that could run without the truck running you were talking about that a couple of weeks ago uh say that again do you remember that you guys somebody came on there talking about an ac unit that you could run without the truck running do you mean like an electric you know and had I some mean, we, weird thing a clutch yeah they were they were talking like something like can doing yeah some battery powered well anyways they already make one 
This one's got one in it. No, it's no, made by uh, Wabesco. We're aware that they make them. I was partnered with a company about, oh, 15, okay. yeah, about 15 years ago. I, I, oh, okay. Yeah, they've been around a while. All right. Full of, and, and we've also talked yeah. many times about getting a, a cheap gasoline generator like a Honda and then putting a room air conditioner in and venting it out the window. We've talked about back wall units that can yeah. run off of a generator. We've talked about full-blown electric. So there's lots of options out there. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, that, that's just had that in it, that Wabesco system in it. And um, I thought that was pretty cool. It gave me peace of mind that it wasn't sitting in idle in all its life. So, so I, with that little miles. Just real quick, this truck we're talking about is a 2015 Volvo 730, right? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. All right, because I'm, uh, I'm... Yeah, a really clean, sharp-looking truck. Yeah. I'm on their yeah. site. Okay. I'm actually going to look for I'll, it so I can guide somebody to it because that's a pretty interesting truck. Yeah, they may not have that one listed. They pulled my listing down. I just picked it up last week, and I jumped on it before anybody else jumped on it on that price, and I just took the gamble. I was uh, trying to get with you guys last week before I did pull the trigger on it, but I, know, I, real quick, I just had to jump. Do you know if they're VNs or VNLs? They're VNLs. It is a VNL, so they're only showing one VNL, actually. It, it would be a red one. So they had a 670 there, um, but the, these ones were red 730s. I will see what I can figure but anyways, out. Anyways, yeah, so if anybody wants to take a gamble on one, that, like you said, it's probably a really good deal to get into. So. I, the last truck I bought was twenty five thousand, and it grossed me one point two million. And and uh, just the twentieth of July, that's hard was to three beat. years that I own this truck. Yeah, so good stuff. Yeah. yeah, that's hard to beat. Let's uh, let's go to Ohio. Matt, welcome to the program. Ah, thank you for taking my call. Uh, my question is maybe stupid, but um, I have a twenty seventeen T six eighty with the pet car. MX-13 in it. I'm wondering, uh, with the Rotella uh, T4, T5, and T6, how do you know which one of those uh, types of oils can you use it in the motor? Say that again. Uh, I'm just wondering with the Shell Rotella oil, how, how do you know or how do you find out if... You can use the T4, the T5, or the T6. You, you, you can. Well, them. Let, well, let me just answer it this way. You can always use any of those oils. Every one of those oils has the correct API classification for your engine. But is it the best oil? That's you got to kind of look at some things there. Ideally, I like the lightest weight full synthetic I can put in an engine. The one thing we have to be careful of is that we don't end up with too much oil consumption. Um, Matt. You know, Matt calls in a lot. Matt is running a very, very lightweight synthetic oil in an older engine, and he's doing okay with it. Um, that's where you're going to get your best fuel economy. But lighter weight oil, you might see a little more wear. We don't really see much. You, you will see more oil consumption. So if you already have an engine that's, say, using a gallon every 6,000 with conventional oil, I would not put synthetic in it. Not unless you're okay with putting in a gallon pretty often. 
and honestly, there's nothing wrong with that. So really, there sure. you can pick and choose any of those oils are are rated for your operation. You just want to pick the best one. Okay, if I'm not mistaken, it's a semi-synthetic 10W30. And what and year was this? I usually go through about a gallon every uh, 17. Which engine? Uh, MX-13. Okay. Um, and you were going to tell us about oil consumption. How often do you have to add? Uh, I add about a gallon every 20. Two to twenty-three thousand. Sounds that it just depends on you, what area I'm running. You could go to full synthetic, and that's all that's left for you. You're already using the oil that would get you the best fuel economy possible, except for a full synthetic thirty weight. That's your only other step up for better fuel economy, but that would work just fine in this engine. Okay. So you could yeah, go to I, the, I, what is it? The I didn't T6, want to sit there. I think thirty weight T six. I think would be there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask uh, the pros, you know, instead of going on social media and getting you know, a whole bunch of weird answers. <laughs> no, that's that. So in your maintenance manual, they would also give you what oil weights you can run and at what temperatures. Like if, if you're in Minnesota all winter, you might want to run a 1030 weight simply because of the weather. If you spend most of your time in Arizona, it's 110 outside, you might want to consider going with the heavier weight. So there's some variation, but there's a lot of overlap for most of the drivers. Right. You could go with 1030, 1540, T4, T5, T6. It's a preference thing. And and like Kevin says, the T6 is the way to go. For fuel economy. It's And I, these oils are so good. I, I, I'm kind of with Pete. You could look at temperature, but I have not seen a problem with an engine and a truck like this. I have not seen a problem running 30 weight T6. That, that it really, even in really hot weather, you shouldn't see any problems with that. And that's going to get you your best fuel economy. Now, the other thing you don't want to be doing, you don't want to be changing that oil every 25,000 miles because it's expensive. You want to definitely extend yes. your drains out as long as you can. And I uh, do oil changes at the 40,000 mile mark, but at about the 25,000 is where I got to add a gallon. Yeah, I would, you know, put a a OPS on this and sample at 40,000 and you might be extending these out to 140,000. Okay, wow. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sitting at 842,000 on it right now and I was going to do an OPS when it was time to do a, why uh, wait? Why wait? It, it, well, here's the thing. It is. It won't save you 15 minutes on this install to do it with an in-frame. You know, sometimes we do talk about waiting for an in-frame to do things because you got to dig so deep into the engine to get to that thing that it makes sense to wait for an in-frame. But at, it, here's another thing I'm going to tell you. This engine may never get in-framed. I don't know. We don't do a lot of that anymore. That That's really changing. But there would be no reason to ever wait to put an OPS on during an in-frame. It's just as easy to just put one on right now. Pete, if, okay. if you were pricing this in the shop, Pete, would there be any real savings to do the OPS with an in-frame? No, because there's no overlap. Right, right. You know, like, like a Apple would 
you know, the manifold's off, so it makes sense to do it during an in-frame because right. there's more labor. But the OPS is, you know, not tied into anything else, so you wouldn't save anything by waiting, other than paying for more oil changes. It cool. actually costs you money. That's the thing. You, every day you wait to put an OPS on, you're you're losing money. Not you're never going to save money by waiting. Okay. Um, by chance, do you guys have a rough idea at uh, how much it would cost if I would bring the truck to you? So the starter kit is eight fifty five, which is the unit, the line kit, three filters, and two sample bottles. And then labor is going to be four to four fifty, somewhere in that neighborhood. So you're looking at thirteen, oh. thirteen fifty. And what are you cheaper than I thought? What are you currently paying for your oil changes? Uh, about five hundred and fifty. So five fifty, wow. and you're doing it every forty thousand miles. You're gonna break even in under a year, easy. So you've got to break even on this. I thought they're a lot more expensive. No, they're really not. It's one of the the best value to 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 add on to a truck. It's one of the the best aftermarket products you can put on a truck. They're not that expensive, and they save you a ton of money. Okay. Um. Just one more quick question. Um, do you guys have an idea of how long out you are before being able to get in? I can tell you here real quick. Pull up my schedule. Look so at that's that. a you know about a half a day. So I can get you in on the fifteenth of August. Actually, I can get you in on the tenth of August, the eleventh of August, fifteenth onward. So pretty. That's awesome. I I will. Uh, I will see what I can do to get a load out that way, and then well, I'll, I'll call you to and get something scheduled up. Sounds, Sounds good. good. That would be awesome. There you go. I appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Thank you. Let's go to Michigan. Joe, welcome to the program. Yeah, I have an answer for Bruce. He was talking about the 359s they built in uh, 87. The last 359 they made, they numbered that year. And how, how many did they make? Not sure, but they made a bunch, and then the last 359 got a number. I could see if I, I could find an article and email it to you. I thought all of the, uh, the 359 were numbered, but they stopped at... 59 or something like that. They only made 59 of them. Yeah, I'll find an article and send it to you. Two other, two other things that I was going to talk about was uh, I have a 14660 Kenworth stock radiator. Um, run Minnesota to Michigan, so I don't have any real polls to talk about. I have 264 with an 18 speed, so I run direct. And other than, um, what was I going to say? Other than like when AC kicks on, my fan maybe comes on once or twice a day. Winter time, it'll never come on unless I have it on defrost. Yeah. I just don't get high water temp. I didn't, I'm sorry, I didn't hear. What kind of truck is it? A fourteen six sixty with a C deck four glider. Okay. Yeah. 
That's good. The only thing I don't know is how that would work with the AC if you didn't have a fan, because if you go to defrost, that will kick the fan in, maybe. Leroy knows more about that part of it. Yeah, the AC pressure switch is going to want to turn the fan on. So would that work without an engine fan? No, your AC wouldn't work without the fan. Yeah, you'll build up too much pressure. That's That's what I thought. So that would be the only reason that you wouldn't be able to run the fan, but mine, yeah, it just basically doesn't come on. I have 200, the highest I see it most days. And the other thing with the transmission that guy called last week with really low oil temperature, so running this in direct, I had a cooler, but I took it off, and I just put a real short line to loop right on the tranny, and uh, about 160 is the highest tranny temp I see now. But I talked to a transmission guy, and he asked me if I could just bypass it. And he said, no, there is a pump inside the transmission, so you do have to loop a line or make something. There's a, there is a plate you can put over it, a special plate, but he said it has to make circulation because there's a pump in the transmission. So you can't just block the tranny lines off completely. Yeah, I'm not sure if all um, transmissions have that pump there, though. Some don't. Okay. Yeah, and that's what he said. I just told him what I had for tranny 18 speed. Actually, I'm running two of them that way, and I don't get that much for temperature in either one, but I am in direct all the time. Winter time, I don't even get transmission temp. So I don't know. I suppose that could be some efficiency loss, but not a lot I could do about it the way it's geared. And if you're running synthetic oil, I'm not sure that'd be much of a big deal with the um, colder temperatures. Yeah, most people run well, dry, tranny. Right. Then that is, uh, well, I, yeah, I forgot what I was going to say on that part. But the other thing with this one... Oh, 800,000 miles, I haven't had an issue with the transmission. That's what I was going to say. And I tracked my fuel mileage on Kevin's fuel gauges. So the last, um, well, 800,000 miles I have on it. And it up here. And up, but 803 is my 30-day average, and the life on the truck is 7.34 on 800,000 miles. But I drive slow, too, 62, 63 most of the time. Well, that's all I had. That's all we need. Thanks for the call. Let's go to, this is our final call on the board. If you want to jump in, there's still time. 855-950-3835. We're going to go to Wisconsin this time. Brad, welcome. Gentlemen, I have a 5EK cat, and back in May I had the exhaust gaskets replaced. But today when I was looking it over on the number one cylinder, two of the studs were loose. So I just happened to tighten them up for now, but I want to know what's the best procedure to make sure they stay t- Do you have our ported and ceramic-coated exhaust manifold on that 5EK? Yep. And you have the stainless stud kit? Yes. I bought them from you guys. Wow. First one I've heard of coming loose. Pete, have you ever heard of this? 
No, it, it hasn't been an issue. Um, have you ever changed your damper? Yes, it's been replaced multiple times. Okay, okay. we have odd stuff like that. I like to go towards the damper. And then what gaskets are you using for this? Are you using the OEM ones with the inserts or are heavy-duty ones without the insert in it? Your guys is the heavy-duty ones. Because CAT offered, so a lot of people would buy the CAT gasket that have the uh, flange in it, and it was a thin gasket, and, and they would loosen up. So that's why we designed our gaskets to be the, the thick gasket. There's um, gasket material, a metal plate, and then gasket material to keep from blowing dust manifold gaskets because the OEM old style gaskets wouldn't hold up. Other than take everything off uh, and make sure you work stuff, it's basically all you should have to do. You, you know what amazes me is why do these on a caterpillar come loose when this was never a problem on the four and a quarter B, 400A, never had that problem on big cams. But why on the 3406E did this problem come about? And I mean, I had a guy two weeks ago, uh, he had a stock manifold and stock studs. And it was number four, five, and six cylinder would come loose. I wonder what's causing that. Did you do the manifold yourself, or did you have a shop do it? I had a shop do it. Okay, so we don't know if they torqued them or not. And I'm a big fan of torquing stuff. When I worked in a shop, everything got torqued. And you start in the center, and you work your way out. You know, torquing is still important. I mean, I see guys. I've been to classes with other guys for, for Cummins, and, and you know, take an air gun and start at one end and work your way down. And that's not how you tighten a manifold. And, you know, you start in the middle and work your way out, and you torque at the spec. I think the spec is 55 foot-pounds on that, but I'd want to look that up to be sure. But that's what, what I would do is pull it back off, clean everything up, put it back together, retorque everything, and you should be okay because we just don't see this problem. You should be able to reuse the gaskets then too? No, no, definitely want new gaskets. Anytime a gasket goes through a heat cycle, it's no longer any good. That makes sense. So I will look into it, Cliff, better. Well, thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. And it looks like we've got another call being screened right now. So um, we lost you, Captain. Hey, hey, Pete, Leroy. Yes. Two two things. You know how I usually hang up on you. Yes. I just hung up on myself. It 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 happens when I'm going to click and the screen shifts. And then you click on something you were trying to click on, and it takes me a while to get back in. Something else I noticed when I was doing that. Um, I, did, I missed this earlier. What was this big meat fest you guys wanted to talk about? <laughs> That's a Pete thing. I don't know. And so Phil uh, was, was a bunch of his buddies got together, and they, they smoked a bunch of meat. Um, they had like four racks of ribs, a nine-pound um pork butt and, and now all kind of meats and like well you didn't bring us any in which is kind of an inside joke oh yeah. i i tried big, big. I, I don't get it i tried smoking meat once and i couldn't keep it lit <laughs> it's tricky, uh, it's tricky. Uh, it is I, I but when i see big meat fest i get excited that sounds good but that, now i find out they didn't even bring you any what's with that no he's yeah, he he bring us in falafels one time, which weren't very good. No, he smoked all the meat himself, him and his buddies. Yeah. Who was this? I know, that's pretty big. Bill. So they had a bunch of his uh, buddies got together over the weekend and had a uh, 
one guy smoked a bunch of love food. smoking meat together. Yeah. But well, this tells Nine you pork. this tells you the level of your friendship. He brought you falafels, but not meat. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's real not, exclusive. That's not much of a friend. It wasn't even. Yeah, really he's listening. <laughs> he, he's listening to the show. <laughs> no, nobody eats falafels. Come on, I want some ribs. I, I was so disappointed in them. I thought, "What do they sound good? It's deep fried. Generally, anything deep fried is good." I'm thinking, "Okay, it's going to be like a um, hush puppy, but better." And it was horrible. It, it, it's like <laughs> they're kind of like eating deep, deep fried sand. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now Anything. Yeah. He does bring up some good cakes once in a while when they have a family affair. So I give him kudos for that. All right. Thank you guys, Kate. Yeah. I, I, by the time I see it. Yeah. I, I, I will tell you that I finally this year, I love cooking outside, smoking, all that stuff. But uh, this year, I finally got a big green egg. I can't believe I waited. This is the best grill I've ever owned. At all. I love this thing. Yeah, I've seen them. I've been interested in those, but uh, they're a little pricey. They are. They make a big difference. Oh, uh, incredible. They, it, I just, everything about this. I have the second biggest. The big one is a monster. Um, I may have gotten it, except nobody had one local and I didn't want to wait. Actually, it was a birthday present, but the second big one is pretty darn big too. And man, they are versatile. You can... I, I've had that grill up over to a, over a thousand degrees. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you talk about a good steak, take a big, thick cut, like a three inch bone in ribeye, like a big three inch cowboy ribeye, throw that in that. You don't have to sear it or anything. You get that grill to a thousand degrees. You just stick it in there and it's actually not direct heat. There's a, a ceramic deflector I can use. You just put it in there at that temperature and it cooks perfectly, and it has got the best crust ever on the outside. Okay, hey, back to trucks. Um, I did get a reply. In 1987, Peterbilt made 359 oh, of the 359 trucks, which, which makes sense. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And that is still a small number of trucks. Yeah. That was sent to us by Joe Harley. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate that. It's a really nice article. All right. So is his name really Joe Harley or is his name Joe and he really likes Harleys? No, it says Joe Dodd Harley. So Joe Harley. Ah, okay. All right. Let's uh let's grab But if he likes Harleys, that's a good he's a good guy then too. So that's right. Let's grab another call here. Let's go to Texas. Gary, welcome. Hey, Kevin. Uh, yeah, I wanted to ask if I buy one of uh, Pittsburgh Power's turbos and the intake manifold on my truck, which is the 1LW, um, what all would it do for me? Well, usually you gain with the manifold and turbo. Now, we need to talk about because we have different versions of the turbocharger, what kind of weight, what kind of speed, how you're geared, what RPM you run. But Pete and I can help you with that. Uh, usually you'll see with both the manifold and the turbo about a half a mile of a gallon. You'll see your exhaust yeah. temperature runs at, uh, Pete, is it 125 degrees cooler? Yeah, between 100 and 125 degree drop in temperature 
with the two items put on. And, and an exhaust and gas temperature. We're just doing that through efficiency. Right. And you'll notice that the turbo responds quicker because there's a the turbulence in the stock manifolds have all been relieved because of the porting. Yeah. And it looks nice. But uh, it's... Hey. It makes more power. It's I think it's eighty horsepower we saw in the dyno with the manifold and turbo. It would depend on where you're at. We had a five fifty cat that was bone stock that was about six hundred flywheel just from the factory and did the manifold and the stage one turbo and he picked up sixty horsepower to the ground. And again, that's yeah. just through efficiency. You know, we, we didn't add any fuel to it, any timing, just uh, more more exhaust out, more air you get in and more efficient that, that engine becomes. It's well worth putting those two items okay. on. Huh? What? What'd you say? I said it's well worth putting putting these two items on. Yeah. I may order one. What a beach. Um, I think the manifold's on sale right now, right? Not sure. Hmm. Thought I heard that. I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. I said I think there's a sale on the manifolds right now, but I thought you would have known. Oh they are. Yeah. Good. I need to check. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Check our website out. PittsburghPower.com. Yeah. All right. And I guess I'm going to get towards the end of the show. I don't have anything else right now. All right. Thanks for the call. Um, I Kevin, do. I, Joe I, Harley. Go ahead, Bruce. Joe Harley does own Harley. He owns a Dyna Lowrider, and he says, ha-ha. Kevin guessed it. Ah, there you go. <laughs> you guessed it. He does own a Harley with his last name. There you go. I love that. Hey, I got there some feedback a- on the um, viscous fan. Uh, well, a couple things. One on the viscous fan, one on, uh, you know, temperature. Matt says uh, 95% of the time his fan turns on for the AC in slow traffic. That's when his fan is used most often. That's not what we normally think about. We normally think about that big, hard pull, but he's saying the reason it comes on most often is summertime and slow traffic, and it comes on for the AC. Matt has one? Uh, Well, no, I think he's just talking about the fan in general. The feedback I got on the viscous fan was from Joel, so based on what Joel's saying, the guy with the viscous fan should just leave it alone. Joel says on his truck that's all he runs are viscous fans because of the fuel mileage gain. I'm wondering why they're not more popular then. So I asked him, I haven't got any feedback on it yet, but it sounds like that guy should just leave it alone, not do anything to it. Okay. Hey, Kevin, yeah. the last caller, the, the manifolds are $100 off, so we do have them on sale. Excellent. I had to Good deal. About that. All right. Correct. Um, and I have a question that's been sent in to me. Go ahead. Cody Otis Parkinson from... Utah wants to know what we have for an N14 and a 99 W9. Um, they pull doubles and run the mountains, and they're having an overheating problem. So I typed back to them and told them about the radiator, the high-capacity radiator. It could also add the auxiliary coolant tank. And we do have a manifold for the N14, correct? We do, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so and we also pulled. have a turbo with a larger compressor wheel uh, for guys that aren't making huge horsepower. If we have a lot of horsepower, then we have the, the bigger turbo that we've used in the past. We now got one kind of in between the stock turbo and the performance turbo. It's working out real nicely for us. And on the N14, we can program the ECM. 
and we can he can install the OPS bypass filter and also the uh, fleet air filters. There you go. Oh, and I didn't mention to him. I, I, I'm typing back and forth. The uh, torsional damper and the mercury-filled engine balancer for the N14. Get so, some older engine questions today, which was nice. All right, let's. Uh, boy, we've had a lot of talk about manifolds and radiators, and I think we have another call on manifolds and radiators in Pennsylvania. Brian, welcome. Hello. Yep, you're there. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, I was saying about the broken manifold bolts on the cat, and uh been experience, which I didn't know, uh, kind of found out by mistake, but uh, when you put those manifolds on, you should have the, I think there's four dowel pins that you put in there on your uh, head so that the manifold sets on there square and even and then put your studs studs in and then torque them down. And uh, the last one I did, I did use the the uh, studs, and uh, I haven't had any problem at all with mine. So I just thought I'd mention that. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Yeah, I forgot about those, those studs you put on for guiding. Do, do we use those, Pete? I, I don't yeah, think so. I'm aware of them. I'll have to look into that. Yeah, the if you, uh, yeah, if you look at your manifold, there's, I want to say there's four of them, uh, and it's elongated hole, or it's a, I'm sorry, it's a round hole. The other holes are elongated. So you put that okay. stud in the round holes, and that squares it up on the head. But, um, yeah, that's so that when you do torque it down, it torques down even. But there I had a problem with my. I had a problem with mine that I kept breaking the number six and one number six and one number five stud. And uh, it took a long time to figure it out, but that's what it ended up being, putting on there square. So you just put some studs in the holes that have the round holes and right. slide the manifold on that holds it. And then you, you start with the elongated uh, holes. No, they're, they're dowel pins made specifically for the manifold. Oh, okay four dowel pins that you screw in there. But the manifold what? is made for those. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other, there's other two other things in a little bit. Um, I tried your guys' manifold gaskets, and I had, I did previously, I didn't have any luck with those uh, on the CAT. Uh, I went back to the stock manifold gaskets, and it seems like they last a lot longer. Boy, it's they, good uh, I what was happening. Well, actually, I put them on brand new. I had, you know, a new head, everything on there, new manifold, all that stuff. And I tried those gaskets without the cones. And uh, I guess I went, I went six weeks, and I took, like, the number six uh, gasket blowed out. And so I just ended up taking them off. I put the stock ones back in, and I shoot, it's been 120,000 miles, and I haven't had any time at all. So, just for thought. Usually we hear just the opposite, so there you go. Yeah, like I said, I didn't have good luck with them. Hmm. But I don't know if there's actually a performance gain in those or not. I, I don't know if you could see that on the diner or not. I don't, I don't know. So you have the sleeves in yours now? Yeah, I put the stock sleeves back in mine, yeah. Well, yeah, my friend Charlie Jones, when he was with Kenworth in 
Denver, he he would pull those out and he would collect the amount of ones that disintegrated and wiped out turbochargers and he had them strung on a wire and it was about four feet long and uh, that was one of the reasons why we've seen it happen that's why we got away from that sleeve on that gasket that goes into the exhaust manifold what would you contribute to those deteriorating from heat or longevity most of them were on a certs so okay they yeah, develop a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I was. I guess what you're saying is probably heat, high heat, mm. high temperature. Anyway, I just thought I'd call in and. Uh, the Acert has. The Acert has more back pressure in the exhaust manifold and in the combustion chamber because of uh, okay. the turbos. So. Yeah, I got you. Maybe uh, maybe there was an harmonics because of the back pressure on the A-cert that was causing those sleeves to bust loose in my pocket turbos. Uh, Not sure. Yeah, That's just I a guess. I don't like talking about that, actually. Blowing out turbos. Yeah, no. no, no that's not a good thing. Yeah, wow. Okay, but well, that's all I had for today. All right, that's all we need. Calls are piling up again. Let's get to them. We're going to go to Alabama. Hal, it's your turn. Yes, sir. Uh, thank you uh, for taking my call. Up. Good evening, fellas. I have uh, an issue with my boost pressure. It varies. Uh, I'm driving a 19 Kenworth with the X15 engine, uh, Eaton Fuller 13 speed with 336 gears. I'm I've had the DPF filter changed. Uh, it's been just over uh, 100,000 miles. I probably need to do that again, but I don't know why my boost pressure changes. Uh, it will start pulling the hill, and then it'll drop back. It goes up as high as 29 when I'm pulling, and it drops back to about 18, and it will stay there even if I shift gears. It goes back up to 18. And after I start down the hill and I turn on my jake my fully, uh, my jake will make the pressure go as high as 33, but then it drops back to 18 as well. Are you running the max mileage catalyst in that 2019? Yes, sir, I am. Okay. Um, Leroy, do you think it's in the electronics? I mean, there's numerous reasons that the ECM or the sensors can make the boost pull back like that. Um, a few off the top of my head or like in erratic or incorrect sensor readings like turbo speed too high or uh, calculated exhaust temperature too high or it could be switching from one mode to another it could be EGR I mean it's from where I'm sitting it's really hard to to know exactly I think what would be best is if you can if it's a consistent issue and we can get it to do it here and replicate the issue uh, make an appointment, and we'll put it on the dyno, and uh, we'll give you an answer why it's doing it. Okay, okay. Uh, I have a. I live in the southeast. I live in Georgia, and I run out of Savannah. Um, I go north to Raleigh, to Chattanooga, to Birmingham, but I don't get out of the southeast very much. Uh, I'm, there's a Cummins dealer in Savannah that might could look at it. I don't know. 
Yeah, I would if you want to take it to them or one of our remote dealers, uh, we could just look over uh, like some of the sensor values and things like that and just sort of do some basic quick checks. Um, we can do that okay. either remotely at one of our remote dealers that's probably close to you. Or again, if you want to go to your uh, local Commons dealer, if you feel comfortable going there, uh, they should be able to check that over for you. Okay. I, I don't get any codes on the uh, the message center on the dash. It, it don't show any. I don't get to check in the light or anything. Would that trigger checking the light? Um, no, actually, if it's still in range, um, if it's not a fault, uh, it can cause the turbo to act erratic. Uh, so, if, for example, on uh, these newer engines, they'll try to protect themselves silently before uh, it'll actually throw a check engine light. For for example, like turbo speed. Uh, if it sees turbo speed approaching, let's say, 140,000 RPM at a fairly quick rate, too, it'll start to pull power before it even gets there. So you'll notice that if you have this issue this in this example, that as you're climbing the hill and your boost is building, you'll notice the boost come up and then it just falls. Well, it's because it's approaching that turbo speed limit at a pretty fast rate and it backs the fuel off that way it doesn't hit that limit and it will never throw a check engine light. It'll let, never let you know that anything is wrong. Okay, okay. Well, that sounds like what it's doing because it, it goes up. And then it'll drop back, and it won't go back up, even if I shift, shift gears. Yeah, I mean, it, it can be stuff like that. It can be uh, an actuator uh, or the turbo that's sticking, um, stuff like that. So it's, like I said, it's numerous things. It's best just to okay. start by checking the easy stuff, and then if they can't get it figured out, then uh, I'd like to see you try to make a trip up to here in Pittsburgh. Okay, all right. All right, well, thank you very much. That answered my question. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Ohio. Josh, welcome. Hi there. I have a question about specking an X-15 in a 3D9 Peterbilt. Okay. What would the best specs be? I know you're not a big fan of the comments, but... No, we can still spec them. Tell us about your operation. Uh, 50% empty. I'm running about 7.5 miles per gallon right now in it. It has 355s. And full till intake manifold so far. What uh, gear ratio? Did you say three fifty five five? Oh, I, yeah. Okay, I thought I heard that. And yeah, what kind of weight? 18, what part over. of geography? What speed do you want to run? Uh, right around the sixty to sixty five. I'm gonna call it the Midwest, usually Kansas to southwestern Ontario, and about sixty to sixty five miles an hour. Okay. Um, you know, the 355s aren't bad for what you're doing. They're kind of middle of the road. We could see an improvement going to 264 is a good one to go to with this truck. What transmission? I don't know if I heard. Uh, eight, 18 double over. Yeah. So you, you've got plenty of gears to play with. Uh, I don't know that I would do the gears right now. Uh, you know, I would probably get this truck to Pittsburgh Power, let them do everything else you can do for fuel economy first, and then see where you are. Okay. There'll be a 2 or 3% gain out of the, the differentials, the gear change, maybe 3 maybe 4%. Still takes a long time to pay that back. Now, there are some exceptions. If you can buy used parts and do the work yourself and get away for a couple grand, then maybe it makes sense. But if you got to go somebody and pay them six to $8,000 to do this, it's going to take an awful lot of time to make that back. 
So I got a quote to do uh, the exhaust manifold, the full tilt manifold in Canadian money. It's $6,000. Whoa. Is that something that you would, you would do just to gain a half a mile? Well, if it's truly a half mile per gallon, yes. Yeah. Well, it, it, if it is, I'm, I, I'm not sure. I don't, I, I think that's a stretch. I wouldn't count on that. Bruce, what do you think about this? How much of a difference do you see with that manifold? Just the manifold alone is usually a quarter. Yeah, quarter mile of the gallon. That that's more of what I'm thinking, and six thousand dollars. That that math just doesn't work. Okay. I mean that that's but that's right. kind well, of the same numbers we're looking at on the rear end ratio. You know, and, exactly and, the same. Yeah, yeah it, it's re- and you know, I, one of the things we can you know chase fuel mileage right to the end if we want, and I've done it. I like doing it. I like proving the kind of numbers we can get. But when we're heading into a tougher economy, I'm a little more cautious. I'm a little more conservative okay. about spending that. Let's think about this: if you were to go out and do these two things right now, gears and manifold. You'd be investing somewhere between twelve and fifteen thousand dollars, and you'd be waiting probably two yep. years to break even. If that, you might not even break even in two years. Going into a bad economy, it makes a whole lot more sense to keep the fifteen thousand in your pocket. Okay. Do the other I, stuff. I, you know, all the other stuff we talk about that is really cost effective and a lot less expensive. I would leave these two items on the list, but I'd put them at the bottom and I would wait. Okay. Well, I do appreciate your time and that, that was great information. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's, uh, let's go to Maryland. Rob, welcome. <laughs> Rob, are you there? Oh, all right. There you are. Hey, Kevin. Hey, Bruce. Um, so I got a question about turbos. Um, I'm the person I called last week with the 127 Detroit was asking you about oil consumption. And uh, Bruce mentioned I should go with the 1702 instead of the 1701. So I started looking at them, uh, doing some more reading, doing some more research. And um, the 1701 and the 1702, do they, they have the same exhaust housing? But the compressor wheel is bigger on the 1702, the wheel and the housing. Is that correct? Yeah, so does the 01 have a, a 132? It, it does. Thought, it, it's just the compressor housing is different on, on those two turbos. The compressor wheel and housing. The exhaust side is the same. Yeah. Okay. So they have a smaller I, and, exhaust and, compressor wheel, and then the housing has to obviously fit that. So the compressor housing is a little smaller where it fit over the wheel. Okay, so um, I'm just calling for some enlightenment here. So if, if the exhaust side is, is the same, I would think that the, the, the back pressure and, and back pressure used to, to push that side would be the same, even though the compressor side is different. And now, am I correct in that thinking? So the back pressure is something we worry about with turbos, but also the bigger the compressor wheel, the slower the turbo is going to spool up. And but also the more boost it's going to make. So there, there's two sides of it. We do talk a lot about uh, the exhaust housing, the size and reducing back pressure. But compressor wheels also have a, a play into it. Like, like the N14 turbo we have, we have a performance one where the compressor wheel is larger. 
and it's just going to simply move more air. Now, as the exhaust starts to spin it, it's going to spool up slightly slower because you're trying to move a bigger wheel and more air. It's a small difference, but it's there. You might not notice oh. it, but it's still there. Right. So, so that's where that's where my confusion comes from because uh, Bruce was mentioning that with the 1701, I'm, I'm choking down the engine with the 1701. Now, I understand that statement if I was looking at say a K31, which is you know much smaller housing and it's got the uh, wastegate on it. But by the 1702 and the 1701 having the same size exhaust, I was just wondering, you know, is it actually choking down the engine? So it's not choking down on the exhaust side, but it's not making enough air on the air side. Oh, let, let's, you know, yeah, I, I always thought it had a smaller turbine housing. So um, I'm glad you did that research. So let me ask you this. With the O1, when you're going along, say, at 65 miles an hour loaded uh, on the level, what's your turbo boost? On the level, I'm probably at about, let's say, seven, eight pounds. You're not doing too bad. Hmm. And uh, I mean, fully loaded. If I'm pulling the hill, uh, max she'll pull 32 pounds. Yeah, I know. Everyone that's tried that turbo was never happy with it. So uh, um, it's just not as efficient as what we have. I mean, we just know that through experience and uh-huh. dyno testing. I mean, the, the, the larger wheel in this case. Now, again, if you were running a dump truck in Boston and you never left, you know, the city streets, then that turbo would be fine. We know when mm-hmm. when you're out in the highway, the uh, O2 is a better turbo for this situation. Okay. All right. Well, I did take you guys' advice. I did order a brand new Borg Warner 1702, so that should be here sometime this week. And uh, I'm gonna put it on here and and see how it does. And I'll give you a call, guys, a call back and let you know my what I found out about it, how I like it. Appreciate it. Thank you. Perfect. All, All right. right. That uh, that is the final call on the board. Anybody have anything they want to talk about or close with? No, but I have a two o'clock meeting, so I have to run. <laughs> Got it. All right, we'll uh, we'll wrap this up then. Um, great stuff. Thanks to the team from Pittsburgh Power, as always. They'll be back again with us next week. In the meantime, you can always call them and. Uh, what do I got going on this week? I've got uh, Destination Health tomorrow. No guests. Uh, I don't know if I have a theme yet. I'm going to go work on some ideas. Thursday, I think I might have a guest coming on. I'm just not sure. I might be doing something on Twitter this week with a uh, somebody that does some broker training. I got to look at my schedule. So we will see you back here tomorrow. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.